Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It is now October 27th, 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Well, a lot of things to unpack today. And once again, I wasn't able to really sit down and watch today's game because of, well, reality kicking in in certain parts of my life. But I was able to listen to part of the game and catch up on it and have it be my respite. And I have a bunch of things I want to talk about today because, first and foremost... We have a World Series now. Now, granted, technically, we were always going to have a World Series. This is not 1994. And it was a World Series yesterday when the Cleveland Indians took the first game. And to be fair, neither one of these games was particularly thrilling down to the last pitch. The Perez late home run took a 3-0 game that was, you know, one big Cubs rally away from getting away from the, you know, from turning into a tight ball game. But in the end, it was 6 nothing, And the Indians were able to coast and get that final three outs and win with a sizable margin. And today's game was, even though the Indians did indeed put together a rally against uh, Corey Kluber in the sixth inning, in the end, this was a 5-1 game. You had two games that were really not that much in doubt when the final pitches were thrown. But that being said, even though they may have lacked the great dramatic conclusion of, say, a David Freeze home run or a Bob Welch strikeout of Reggie Jackson, we do have a World Series that's tied at a game apiece. And with that... The Cubs have wrestled away home field advantage. Now, remember, I I mean, look, home field advantage in the World Series is determined by who wins the All-Star game. Is that a flawed system? Absolutely. Is it bonkers? Yeah, kind of. Do I like it? Yes, for those reasons. I like the fact that it's somewhat bananas. I like the fact that it's somewhat bonkers. Is it fair? Who gives a crap about fair? Seriously, when is fair coming to this equation? You know, sometimes baseball is not fair. Sometimes the way things unfold, it isn't fair. And a team can do something like the Cubs did, which is say, all right, fine. We are going to wrestle away home field advantage and make it ours. And there is something there that is going to be refreshing for Cubs fans in a way. In 2004, I don't know if you knew this, but the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004. Did you know that? Did you know they did? Well, they did. And when that happened, the Red Sox were up three games to none against the St. Louis Cardinals. And I actually heard Red Sox fans say, well, not all of them, most of them were like just desperate to get the World Series over with, but there was a couple of people said, don't you wish they would win at home? Don't you wish that maybe they would maybe lose two games so they could win at home? And I'm, of course, like, no! I mean, we had just seen a three-game-to-none lead blown by the Yankees that year. I'm like, no, no, no! 
It'll, it'll be just as awesome if they win in St. Louis. Just win. Just win, just win, just win. Well, you don't have to hear Chicago Cubs fans say that. They won't say, well, I'd like to win in Wrigley, but I'd like to, you know, it'd be nice. It, it, it'd be nice to win in Wrigley. It may, even if they lose a couple of games, it'd be nice. If they had game six and seven, you would hear that sentiment. If the Cubs go on and win the final three games, you know, go on and win three straight games, all the games at home, i.e. the home field advantage, you will have game five of the World Series at Wrigley Field and the greatest baseball celebration we've seen in a home field for, I don't know, ever? Something like that. Something like ever. But there have been a lot of times that the home field advantage was not given to the team who was clearly the better team. Now, sometimes this has come back and bitten the team in the ass. Remember in 1988, the A's were heads and shoulders better than the Los Angeles Dodgers. In 1988, the A's went 104-58. The Dodgers were 94-67, and banged up, beaten up. Granted, it wasn't fair. It's not fair. The Dodgers weren't at full strength. But they're banged up and beaten up. But we all remember the Kirk Gibson home run game one of that World Series. Wait a minute. Game one of the World Series was played in L.A. They used to just interchange back and forth and back and forth that it was home field advantage was given to whichever team happened to fall into the even or odd year of that particular year. And that is bananas. And that also didn't just happen in the World Series. That happened in the playoffs. The New York Mets had won 108 ball games in 1986 and did not have home field advantage over the Houston Astros in the National League Championship Series. The Minnesota Twins only won 85 games. And this is the most egregious moment of home field advantage lunacy. They only won 85 games, and they were exponentially better at home than on the road. They had home field advantage in the league championship series over the Tigers, who had the best record in baseball. And then they had home field advantage in the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. And every team won the home game. And that meant the Twins won the 1987 World Series. Now, I love that Twins team. That was a lot of fun to root for that Twins team. I have said on the podcast, that's the worst World Series winner I've ever seen in my life. There have been plenty of times, you know, that the team with the better record did not have home field advantage. The best National League team in terms of wins and losses of the 1970s were the Reds of 1975, who won 108 games. They didn't have home field advantage over the Red Sox. It's not fair. And yet, sometimes you see teams able to wrestle fairness away from the other team. And they do that by winning their damn games. Just win your damn games. Just do that. The Cubs are a terrific team. And, I mean, how much does home field advantage really, really matter? They won, the, the, the Indians won game one of the World Series this year. They didn't win game one because of home cooking. They won game one because Jake Arrieta kicked everyone's ass. Not Jake Arrieta, I'm sorry, Corey Kluber, forgive me. Tonight it was Jake Arrieta. 
who took home field advantage away. I mean, I've never been a player on a high level. I know this stuns some of you. But it seems that home field means more in a football game or a basketball game where you essentially have the same teams playing all the time. It does you know, The team that's going to play at home or on the way, it's going to be the same quarterback, it's going to be the same center, it's going to be the same forward and, and guard and everything like that. And so if you have the same teams lined up, yeah, your home field may offer a tipping point this way or that. It's all about who's going to be on the damn mound. It's all about who's pitching. The one thing is, okay, yeah, if it's super tight, it comes down to extra innings and whoever has last licks, yeah, perhaps. But just win your damn games. Don't worry so much about things being fair. Things may not always be fair. Just have your team win. I'm tired of that kind of complaining. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's something that's weird and quirky about the All-Star game. If I were lining things up, yeah, the team with the best record would get home field advantage. But they don't. And, you know, is that an easy fix? Yeah, probably. But it's pretty low on the priority list, I think, for baseball at this point. I know that's not a popular opinion to have, and I don't even call it a hot take. But here we are, the Cubs have home field advantage in the World Series. So quit your yapping. They have home field advantage now and could win it at home. There's a couple interesting things about this game. This is the first time... The Cubs have won a World Series game since Stan Hack hit a walk-off double off of Dizzy Trout in the 12th inning of Game 6 of the 1945 World Series. Now, some people have been saying this is, you know, the first Chicago World Series game since 1945, and no, the White Sox won it in 2005. If you type, you know, the, the, the White Sox are still there, Okay. But an interesting fact that I dug up today through BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of planet Earth, is Claude Passeau was the last Cubs starting pitcher to earn a victory. We all know Claude Passeau, don't we? He threw a one-hit shutout in Game 3 of the 1945 World Series. He let up a hit in the first, and that's it. Complete game, one-hitter in Game 3. He was the last Cubs pitcher the last Cubs starting pitcher to get the win in a World Series game before tonight. And a factoid that has a little close to my heart is that this is the 10th World Series game that Terry Francona has been the manager of. He has now managed 10 postseason games, and this was his first loss. Not first loss of a World Series, first loss of a World Series game. Because you remember that 2004 World Series I mentioned prior? He swept the Cardinals. The Red Sox swept the Cardinals in that World Series. In 2007, still the Red Sox manager, they swept the Colorado Rockies. And this time, they took game one, but not game two. And in fact, of all the World Series games that he had until today, he was only behind in one game. In Game 2 of the, of the 2007 World Series, the Red Sox briefly were behind the Colorado Rockies before they came back to win that game. The game that was highlighted, or low-lighted, depending on who you ask, by Matt Holliday being picked off at first by Jonathan Papelbon. 
So Francona's perfect World Series record is now no longer perfect. The Cubs have scored a, post, uh, a World Series run and have won a World Series game and have the home field advantage and are lined up to have their great celebration. Now, let's just get down to two things that I really like, what I call the Clay Buckholtz factor. Why are you always bringing it back to the Red Sox, Sully? Okay, fine. I'll call it the Frank Thomas factor. How about that? Your pal Sully always likes to look up the roster and keep track of who gets in the games. Because I love it when everyone on the roster you know, gets in, gets to play an inning, gets to, gets to take a swing. And a game like today is a game where it started getting out of the way early for the Indians. And with a travel day tomorrow, Terry Francona very intelligently said, well, I'm not going to use Cody Allen. I'm not going to use Andrew Miller. He used Andrew Miller a lot, and he wants to be able to have them ready for what will be a critical games three and four. So in came Zach McAllister, in came Shaw, in came Manship, in came Otero, in came Clevenger. All these players who are, you know, not their top relievers. Some of them are talented, but they're not their top relievers. And, you know, there you have it. They just, you know, everyone gets a couple innings. Hey, you get to pitch in a World Series. Hey, you get to pitch in a World Series. And, you know, they can, I get to check them off as someone who used to ride the pine in the postseason, or in the in, in Little League and in, in high school when I played baseball. I used to ride the pine, so I feel when players get a chance. Well, one of the pitchers who came into the game was Danny Salazar. Remember Danny Salazar? Danny Salazar was an all-star this year. He had a terrific season for the Cleveland Indians in his 25 starts. He won 11 of them, pitched 137 and a third innings to a ER, in a sub-four ERA, struck out a lot of batters, walked very few batters, and was there... Indians either number one or number two starter based upon how you consider Carlos Carrasco. A very integral part of this team. And yet he's been injured. He was injured and was unable to play in the Division Series and in the ALCS. And here they are in the World Series. And he got to pitch. He contributed heavily to the team. And when you look up his page on BaseballReference.com, single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, it will denote that not only did he play for that team, but he pitched in the World Series. And the same thing you could say about Schwarber, who only played a handful of games, I think only two or three games, before he injured himself and was out for the entire year, but he now gets to list himself as a, not only a, the cameo in the World Series, but he's been a critical part in the first two games. And in fact, you'll find out that he actually owned October and owned the World Series. But I love it when a player gets in like that who contributed to the season and was a big part of it because it always kind of breaks my heart when a player had a contribution to a team, had a contribution to the championship, like Clay Buckholtz did in 2007 when he threw a no-hitter at a time when the Red Sox were starting to spiral and his no-hitter basically got him back on course. Or, you'd rather I go to 2005, when Frank Thomas, who is the greatest White Sox player of all time, was on the White Sox year in and year out, and the year they finally get to go to the World Series, and they finally win the World Series, he's injured. Yes, he was on the team. 
yes, he gets a ring. Yes, he's part of that team, and you can look at him and say, that man is not just a Hall of Famer and a two-time MVP, but a world champion. But he didn't get to play in the World Series. The Frank Thomas factor. That you look, yes, he was there. Yes, he celebrated. Yes, he was at the parade. Yes, in many ways, one of the most emotional things that I had was seeing him celebrate with the, his teammates when they won that World Series. But he didn't get to get in. He didn't get to play. He didn't get to bust the box score. When you go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet, from this point forward, you have seen him in a couple of trips to the postseason in 1993 and in 2000. But, man, never never in the World Series. And he also played in the postseason in, for the A's in 2006. And I remember thinking... I hope the A's win the World Series in 2006 so Frank Thomas can play in the World Series, can have his World Series moments, and there won't be that caveat. Because that happened later with Clay Buchholz, who contributed to that 2007 season and then later pitched in 2013. So he got to, yeah, he got to have his championship that he pitched in and contributed to. And so either the Cubs or the Indians are going to win the World Series this year. I think that's a good bet. I think that's a statement that I can say without hesitation. And either Kyle Schwarber or Danny Salazar, who looked like at the beginning of this postseason would be one of those players, yeah, he was on the team, yeah, he didn't play in the postseason, he didn't play because of injury and everything, but he was on the team. So yeah, he was a world champion, even though he can't list his participation in the World Series on his uh, BaseballReference.com page. I admit that's a strange thing to get fixated on, but I also can admit I'm a strange man. Game three is critical, absolute critical for uh, for all teams, but certainly the Cleveland Indians. They have Tomlin. Now, Tomlin has been really terrific this postseason and not throwing, you know, lightning, but throwing all sorts of stuff that breaks and does this and does that. And you see that if you get the Cubs off balance, they can you can shut them out. The Dodgers did twice. The Giants almost did in game one, say for one solo shot. And the Cubs, uh, the uh, uh, Cleveland did in the first game of the World Series. And Tomlin was wonderful against the Red Sox and wonderful against Toronto. Remember the Red Sox were in this postseason? That seems like it didn't happen. Maybe because they didn't win a game. And Tomlin is pitching, and they have full Miller, and they have full Cody Allen and possibly Corey Kluber ready for game four. But it's a critical game. Hendricks has been fantastic. You saw how he did in, in clinching the pennant against Los Angeles. He's been a terrific pitcher for the Cubs. And neither one of the marquee stars, Tomlin versus Hendricks. But this is the game that could really spell will really put the tone for the rest of this series. If the Indians win, Tomlin keeps them off balance, they get two innings out of Miller, two innings out of Allen, and they, they're up two games to one, handing the ball to Corey Kluber in either games four or five, then the Indians can take real control of the series. If they don't, then you've really exposed an underbelly of the Cleveland Indians, which is they're heavily reliant on Kluber. Big time reliant on Kluber. Kluber 
and the middle of that bullpen, which is reminiscent of what ultimately sank Los Angeles, who were banking on Kershaw, Jansen, and cross your fingers and hold your breath. Because eventually, it caught up with Kershaw. So if it catches up with Kluber, who has only one bad start this postseason, it happened to be on short rest against Toronto, and they're talking about using him in short rest possibly in Game 4 of this World Series. That suddenly makes Game 3 critical and must win for Cleveland. I'm not going to talk as if I'm Terry Francona. I've not won nine out of my first ten World Series games. But if the Indians win game three of the World Series, I ain't pitching Corey Kluber till game five. Hell, I have one of those crazy bullpen games like they did the day that Trevor Bauer's finger got clipped. Or maybe hand the ball to Danny Salazar. Hell, he only threw one inning. Have him throw a couple and Clevenger and do that sort of thing. But either way, your pal Sully would... I would do everything I can to avoid Kluber pitching in that game four on short rest. Because you know what you can do? You might be able to pull a badass Bumgarner and bring Kluber out in game seven like like Bumgarner did in 2014. I'm getting ahead of myself, but game three is a big game. We're going to have a day off and start this series again on Friday. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to figure out who owned October and who owned the World Series, Wu and Wows. Um, Kyle Schwarber putting together great series. Can't believe it. He's doing it. Had a great game. I'm speaking clipped. Why am I doing that? I'm not Shatner. Um, Jake Arrieta, no header into the sixth. Uh, didn't get out of the sixth, but set up the win. Uh, and Mike Napoli gets the half Wu and Wows for his... Getting on base three times, he didn't score, but that's not his fault. So if you're keeping score at home, and man, it's easy to do this when there's only one game being played. Um, Arietta and Schwarber get full woos and wows, half woos and wows to Mike Napoli. No Indians pitcher deserved it. No, not even Danny Salazar. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Swerve, and iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. For whatever the hell day it is. I think it's October 27th, 2016. Wow, I almost said 2014. I've really been doing this for four years, haven't I? Not this episode, the entire show. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. We've got ourselves a World Series, and you can call me Sully.